Say you say something through your thing. What, what have you done? Something. <laughs> oh, this is brilliant. Podcast episode number 67. Hey, I'm Kushal. I'm Gurren. How are you? I'm in my... I can just hear it at the echo, even though it's not there now. It's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, um, I'm good. How, how are you? Where, where the hell have we been for like six months? I know. I've been... I've been Actually, people have been asking when is the next podcast going to come out. And you know when that happens, we're in a good place. But we're not even nurturing but, our audience. I mean, on my side, it wasn't even us that did anything. It was um, uh, Disney completely fucking up the Star Wars franchise with one oh. final mm. kick in the balls. And mm. uh, people texted me saying, have you seen this shit? What the hell? <laughs> Why aren't you talking about it? Uh, you know what? I don't know what happened. And I was, uh, I, I, oh, wait, hold on. are we going to talk about Star Wars this t- today? Or are we going to talk about? No. No? Okay. We could talk about Star Wars and then we can discuss Star Wars. And- Are we not doing a, a list of catch-up things and then oh, yeah. something? Okay. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I having the most disappointing thing for me was coming straight from watching Rebels and then going into watching Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's tough. Yeah. No, it was, it was not, it was not a good experience. I mean, I, there were part of it, parts of it I did thoroughly enjoy, but then there were other parts I found myself questioning, can the force do that? Or did we know the force can do that? Like, it, I couldn't, I, I was very confused. And I think a lot of people kind of seeing reactions on Twitter afterwards, a lot of people were confused. It's, um, it was, it was a fun experience. What about you? Uh, uh, which bit? <laughs> what was the biggest disappointment for you? Uh, Rise of Skywalker. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> was a big disappointment yeah uh, I'm, not, I'm not we won't talk about it this episode but yep um it was as annoying as mm. mandalorian is good oh yeah there you go there you go how are you anyway generally how's, how's yeah, uh, how are your, uh, how are your holidays <laughs> how's uh, how's uh, what's the temperature over there in canada been what's the lowest you've had uh the lowest we've had so far is minus 13 oh my word yeah, that was that was a that was an interesting day. I felt like I was going to die, but I would have died happy because I was enjoying it. So it's um, uh, I've been having a good time. Uh, right now it's twelve degrees, so it's a stark contrast to what it has been. Um, How was Christmas and New Year in Toronto? It was great. We we did the uh, the whole Christmas market thing at the distillery. That was probably the best day um, that we've had here really so far, like during the winter. Um, like the, I don't know if you've seen distillery during Christmas. They kind of all the lights are up, the big trees are up, they put a Ferris wheel up, they've got these stands, they sell, you know, hot food, they do hot desserts. It's, it's lovely. It was, it was very Christmassy. Um, it was cold and it was kind of what you'd expect Christmas to be from the experience side of things and, and not so much the consumery, consumerist type stuff. You know, it was very just kind of about the experience, which is nice. Toronto is a weirdly nice city to walk about. Yeah, no, yeah, that's, it's 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 an interesting one because 
I was thinking about this kind of, you know, when you, you think about going somewhere on holiday, you, to, you wouldn't think let's go Toronto for a holiday, like a city yeah. break, right? You think let's go New York. Cause there's, there's so much to do in New York. Whereas in Toronto, everything's kind of spaced out everywhere. So it's not really like you'd come to Toronto to stay, if that makes sense. It's a really weird one. But, no, but it's definitely worth going. So what have you been watching? What haven't I been watching? Man, so let's see. Let's roll on the list. I've seen you on Netflix, um, Mandalorian, Star Wars Rebels. finished the entire series of that Mandalorian as well, of course. Uh, um, I remember our conversation that we had about Clone Wars and how you were trying to convince people to watch Clone Wars. And then when they started watching it, they couldn't stop watching it. And it was the same thing with Rebels. Yeah. Um, I just could not stop watching Rebels. I'd watch it on my commute. I'd watch it during bedtime. I'd watch it when I wake up. Like this was, I was obsessed with it. And does um, it feel like a kid's animation? It does or- not. It does no. not feel like a kid's animation at all. It's some of the concepts are way too deep for kids to understand. Like yeah. when they go to the world between worlds, I'm thinking to myself, how is a kid going to watch this and understand what the hell's going on? It, it was, it blew my mind because... Yes. Some of the things kids wouldn't even pick up on, like the references from the old films and the voices that you hear and all this other stuff that's happened. I'm thinking, this is going deep. Like this is going super deep. And like when the portals open up, it's like, hold on a second. Are we talking about multiverses? Are we talking about different timelines here? Like has, this, has Star Wars just opened up in another kind of path to how it can be conceived. Like I, I didn't know what the hell was happening, but that. And I think, and I think that's the most exciting thing about the Mandal- Mandalorian, that it's a TV show. It started slow. It's live action, but it's made yeah. by these guys. Yeah. Yeah. And also, and also a fucking dark saber in Mandalorian. <laughs> I was watching this. We were like, we were watching it. I was watching my, uh, my brother and sister-in-law upstairs and, and Hina and we, um, Obviously saw uh, Moff, what's his face, come out of the the Tie right. Fighter, yeah, and um, we saw Moff, Moff Gideon, I've got Moff a Gideon, Gideon, which is very yeah. funny, yeah, Moff Gideon. Uh, we saw Moff Gideon come out of the Tie Fighter, and um, I I I I knew it when he was when you could see the sparks coming up. I was like, no, he's yeah. not, he's not. And then he comes out, and you just see it, and I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> I lost it because. That opens up a world of possibilities into what we can see next because I'm thinking about Sabine more than anything else. Um, because technically speaking, she's still alive. It's only been 20 something years since Rebels uh, or 30 something years, I forget. Um, so there's a possibility and chance that she might make an appearance in The Mandalorian. It's, I've watched some really good stuff. What about you? Oh, yeah. All the. I'm I'm only going to go over the latest stuff because we've been off we've been offline for so long. Um, have you watched any of his dark materials? No, you've mentioned this before though. What is that? It's a series of books. Uh, yeah. The BBC. It was turned into a. Uh, I think it was Daniel Craig and Nicole Kidman were in, a, in the Golden Compass a long oh, time ago. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of uh, it's related to that. Um, but this is a the whole thing remade as a series. Okay. Um, by the BBC. And at the moment I'm m- mixed feelings. I think it's good. No, it's not great, but it's good. Uh, there's some questionable sort of casting and acting choices. Um, but it's generally getting better. And I have to remember that it's, it's for kids as well. Mr. Robot season four, I think season Ooh. four came out a while ago. You had to catch up on that. Yeah. Um, a preacher. Okay. Okay. A preacher finished. That was uh, 
just as funny. It just doesn't stop being funny. Yeah. Um, have you got into that yet? No, haven't? not yet. No, no. Okay. Mm, not suitable for families. No, yeah, I didn't think, I didn't think, yeah. Um, did you watch The Witcher? I haven't watched it. It's on my list and I'm not sure if I need to know any of the, the law or the books or anything before I start watching it. So I'm not, I'm not. No, no. Have you played the game? No. So it starts off very weird because the first sort of two or three episodes are almost like sort of uh, giving the people who have played the games what they want. And it almost feels like he's just, you're watching the game in, in a weird way. Right. Um, but then after the third episode, it gets it good, like like a proper storyline starts to emerge because before that, it's it's a bit strange and you're not sure mm. what's going on. Yep. I've been doing a whole weird DC binge trying to make myself feel feel better about the roots of this material because the stuff on TV and the movies was so poo. So what, what have um, you been what reading? I think it was after watching The Joker, I realized that they're trying to do something. I'm not sure. Trying to do something different, maybe sort of uh, put things into perspective. And then I think uh, my thoughts were, my hunch was right because I saw the uh, I started watching the Harley Quinn animated series. Oh yeah, uh, which is an adult animated series. Yep, by DC mm. um, with very convincing voices. Um, it's an adult series. Yeah, you know, the, didn't I send you the trailer, the animated trailer? I haven't seen the trailer. I've seen clips of oh, it before, okay, but I didn't yeah. realize it was uh, yeah, like for adults. It's got loads of swearing in it. It's like I oh. think it's sort of it, it's almost like they made the animated Harley Quinn series as a tester for Birds of Prey. Huh. So Birds of Prey is the Harley Quinn movie. Interesting. Out soon this year, I think. You're right. Yes. Yeah. 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 And that looks uh, with uh, uh, Margot. Yeah. Robbie. Yeah. Is that her name? Yes. She's the one that Tarantino just turned into a proper moving, movable prop yeah. in Once Upon a Time. How the hell did he just win a Golden Globe for that piece of shit movie? She, well, she doesn't even do anything. There's not even a story. She, she, like, she's just a, a prop. And she, you know, at one point of the movie, she goes to watch a movie and you're watching her watch her movie in the movie. Nice. And then she calls her friends around and has a party. What? I, <laughs> and... <sighs> Cool. So what are we talking about this episode? Today we're going to be talking about friends. Um, and we, I, it, cut we, out. Today, it cut out really weird. Today we're going to be talking about friends. <laughs> <laughs> that was like something straight out of Preacher. Because <laughs> the echo comes, when he uses his voice, an echo comes on. <laughs> um, so this is something that I've been kind of talking about and saying we should what should we, we should talk about kind of for a while, and um, purely because I mean a number of reasons, F- Friends itself now seems to have compiled or developed some kind of following of people who have found a lot of issues with the series and have found it problematic and offensive, and whilst you know a lot of these things that people are saying. Um, I have to agree with, and I think you agree with as well. I felt, I thought it would be interesting if we did an episode where we kind of looked at the series through the lens of today, whilst we'll be critiquing the episode, the series, it's not, it's not so much an attack on the series. It's like I said, it's a study of a look at kind of how 
not just friends, but comedy in the same era has evolved over time and kind of looking at the behaviors in the show and shows around the same time, perhaps, and how they can be deemed as problematic or offensive to people in, in today's age. Um, we're going to kind of look at maybe, uh, you know, the, the episode is kind of looking at why our views on comedy as a society have changed over time and how behaviors in society have contributed towards that. So I think it's going to be a, an interesting conversation. You can enjoy it. Yeah. Um, I think it is going to be interesting because, I, what I was going to say is when we first talked about this, I thought, what a load of ass. I don't <laughs> like friends. I don't want to watch it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't give a shit that it's been 25 years. Yep. And then we set the challenge of me trying to find positives about the yep. friends yep. and history. Which, of is, friends. which is interesting friends. because yeah. I, I I can see the positives in the show because I, I can still watch it happily and I can still laugh at some things. Um, whereas, but you didn't grow up with Friends, did you? Did you, did you watch Friends when it was airing? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I didn't watch it Friends when it was airing. I caught up with it afterwards on DVD. So I I didn't understand the hype so much when uh, when it was on air. So I kind of dabbled in it every so often when it was on Comedy Central or Channel 4 or whatever. So um I guess I'm, 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 I've, I've got a kind of a different perspective on it. So, uh, an overview and an over, an over, overarching broader perspective on the show rather than a, uh, a sentimental one. So it's going to be, I'm, I'm curious about what you're going to say. Definitely. <laughs> it, it's been difficult trying to focus on positives, man. I, I bet. I just, yeah. Okay. But, uh, I'll shut up now and leave the first bit to you. Okay. A bit of background on friends. If you, if you're uh, in the, in the, in the unlikely event that you're unfortunate, uh, uh, not familiar with friends, uh, friends started in 1994. It ran for 10 seasons. Um, and it was created by David Crane and Marta Kaufman, um, who have worked on shows like Veronica's closet, dream on, uh, Joey in 2004, uh, David Crane created or well, worked on episodes in 2011. Um, so the synopsis of the show is the misadventures of 20 to 30 year old friends in New York City. Joey, a struggling actor, Monica, a chef, Rachel, a waitress who hopes to work in fashion, Ross, a paleontologist, Chandler, who who hates his job in data processing, and Phoebe, a masseuse slash musician. Now, on paper, it sounds like a hilarious show. Um, the description of the characters, uh, this is kind of when we start to enter into scratching head territory um, for, for some of these descriptions. So uh, I'll, I'll go straight into it. So my favorite is, is Joey's description uh, yeah. who's described as handsome, macho, smug, lives across the hall from Monica and Rachel, wants to be an actor, actually wants to be Al Pacino, loves women, sports, women, New York, women, and most of all, Joey. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty perfect. But I mean, uh, it, it, in hindsight, it's it's perfect. I think at mm. the time they could they could that could have gone very wrong. Yes, yeah, as a character. Yeah, and now on paper he sounds like you know uh, he is a stereotypical womanizer guy who thinks he looks great and uh, you know is too good for anybody who isn't quote unquote pretty. And I think therein lies the issue uh, of, you know, uh, one of the issues of this show is, and we'll start talking about this in a second, is is the the superficial nature of this show is kind of represented through some of their characters. Um, 
they, if we kind of focus on some of the, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of start a kind of a, a high level type thing. And then I'll kind of go into some of the issues, I guess. Um, if we look at some of the jokes that were made back in, back in, back in the, in the nineties, you look at it now and, and you kind of question where some of the motivations of this thing came from. Um, you know, uh, let's, there was a, there was a joke about, I don't know if you remember the episode with Chandler's dad who, um, had a sex change who was, uh, portrayed as a woman and was in a, a, a kind of burlesque show, um, in Las Vegas. So his disappointment in his dad was rep- like, was represented with such a, um, an interesting point of view. So he almost got to the point where he disowned his dad and yes, fine. Eventually he came around and kind of understood that this is who his dad was now. But the way that they handled it is very much how a lot of people who go through the similar, similar thing um, experience on a day-to-day basis in different cultures. And I found that really interesting. And I find it interesting that it's taken us so long to understand how to handle issues like this, but you were going to say, sorry. Uh, so I think, yeah, it was handled badly, but growing up at the time when it was aired, that was the nature of society and TV. It was, mm. I mean, I find it quite ironic that the writers were also the writers on dream on. Hmm. Because that was one of my favorite TV shows growing up. Interesting. That was so good. What was Dream On about? Uh, it was about a guy who experiences life through sort of a weird set of flashbacks. Um, and the flashbacks are always quite philosophical and sort of mm. put life into perspective. And it was, a, it was quite a unique show. Yeah. Um, something different, but it was, you know, edgy and uh, handled issues that people didn't want to discuss maybe and things like that. And Friends just, for me, wasn't like that. It was uh, an endless, endless um, low-hanging fruit-a-thon mm. of, of just basic jokes in the beginning. Yep. It obviously yep. got a lot better. Yeah. Um, and so things like um, the mishandling of... of uh, uh, gender issues, yeah, and cultural issues, race yep. issues, and all the other things that you're probably going to come across was also how society was. It was like one of the. It was we live in a very very different society 25 years later. Yep, uh, there's many things that we can't um, joke about now, say now because it's offensive to people, and it was offensive to people back then, but people yep. just either didn't care or yep. didn't think was important to not be just randomly uh, offending people a, a lot of people today are offended by oh you can't say this and you can't say this and you can't say this mm. no you can say whatever the fuck you want you're gonna offend people and that's the problem but i think this is because uh, i think it's related to one of the points i'm going to make later on is but people like you said people were offended by it back then but the problem is they didn't have the platform to voice their opinions now yeah. we live in an age of you know, hashtag me too. Like I'm going to get to this in a second as well, but you kind of think about a lot of the issues that stem from things like sexual harassment. And, you know, let's just look at the Weinstein case itself is that's a, that's a big kind of uh, indicator as to what, what we're living in right now. But if you, if you think about some of the issues that have been brought to light today, they didn't, they had happened in an era where 
people weren't allowed to voice their opinions uh, from a, a, a societal perspective. Where would they have voiced their opinions if they'd gone to the police? That, that, that would have been brushed off. They can't go to the newspaper because who's going to listen to them? Now they've got their own platform where they can discuss this stuff and, and meet other people who have been through similar issues and they can air their grievances and, and talk about their, um, you know, when they were being victimized. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest things that we have here is that people were offended by it. We just didn't know about it because no one talked about it. Or we didn't know that people were talking about it. I think at the time, that was my biggest issue with Friends. Uh, watching it just felt like watching yet another uh, mouthpiece of the world around us that yes. was uh, controlled by a certain set of people who chose what goes on TV, what gets commissioned, what's reported in yeah. newspapers, how yeah. it's reported, and all the things that people say, oh, you say that it's a conspiracy. Well, no, it's not yeah. really a conspiracy. <laughs> Today we have other ways of, you know, as you're saying, other, uh, um, other platforms that people can actually talk about things that have happened to them. Yeah. Um, people can talk about their experiences. And we realized when we look backwards that, oh, shit, it was a bit of a weirdly uh, a crafted world. And in that world, Friends became the mouthpiece of um, what was an aspirational life for some of those people. Uh, yeah, a yeah. New York where people live together and um, there doesn't seem to be that many people from other backgrounds. No, and I, I, so I think, so let's, okay, let me, because I feel like a way we're kind of talking Sorry. about the thing too, uh, too broadly. Let me, I've got specific examples that I feel like would be interesting to talk about as well. So, you okay. know, let's talk about, um, the, I don't know if you remember, this, this was kind of early on um, and in the series uh, when Rachel's then boyfriend of maybe a few episodes. So Paolo um, was from season one and Rachel came across him when um, she was trying to find the owner of a cat that got scared. At some point, uh, Phoebe gives Paolo a massage and Paolo, in the middle of the massage, removes his towel and gropes Phoebe's ass. Um, Now, when Rachel found out about this, she was more concerned about the fact that uh, Paolo had cheated on her than the fact that he groped Phoebe. Now you take that situation and put it into today's context. That did you see what I mean? Like that's that in itself is uh, a, a wonderful kind of starting point as to where we are with friends. And yes, look back then, I don't know how it would have been perceived. I was too young to even comprehend something like that. I mean, I don't know. You were you were kind of growing up in that era. What would what would have happened if that had happened in, you know, to someone one of your friends or or whatever? What what would be the situation? There was the nineties. I mean, there was zero platform uh, for people to speak out on on these kind of things. It was. Um, I mean, when men were, you know, it was still extremely macho culture, which still, yeah. which exists today. But today, a lot of it's tongue in cheek. A lot of it's. I mean, I. I I, I work with a bunch of uh, people that are uh, younger than you. Yeah. And um, it's very refreshing to see some of, you know, that the, such a massive change in behaviors this, in this generation compared yep. to how things were in the 90s. In the 90s, it was, it was the children of the people that grew up in the late 70s and the 80s. And so they had taken on a lot of these weird behaviors about um, – 
gender and race and all sorts of other things from their parents. And it was just yeah. normal to speak about things a certain way, be a certain way to to brush off any complaints that women have because they just suggest that those women are like ex, are like this or like that and they need to experience certain things to loosen up. And mm, it, was whole, yeah. it was not nice. Um, yep. So, yes, it, it, in that context, this guy's behavior is the, the normal of the times. Yeah. For, for, yeah. for, for those kind of people. Yeah. Not, I don't mean Italians. But, right. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Another kind of example I want, and this is, but there's a, there's a, there's a point, I don't know if you remember the episode with the tailor. Do you remember this? When the tailor kind of gropes Chandler. There's a tailor that gropes Chandler. Yeah, it's, he's Joey's tailor. Hang on. Oh, yeah, yeah, I do remember. Oh, yes. yes I do. <laughs> and so, right, it makes you laugh because it's a, it's a funny moment. It, now, it, it is weird, yeah. When they were talking about it, yeah. Joey mentions that the tailor has been doing Joey's suit since he was 15 years old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so when Chandler comes back, he talks about, uh, I forget the line, there's something about cupping. He's like, there was definite cupping. And then Joey says, that's how they do pants. <laughs> as, as, as information is more available. People are more uh, socially educated, more exposed to more information and more experiences through media and uh, mm. TV and movies, which is mm. kind of why we talk about these subjects through movies. Yeah. Um, and that changes the nature of humor. Cause if you watch the humor of, uh, we're talking about the humor of 20, 25 years ago. Yeah. Uh, if you go back a bit further and you watch the, the humor of, um, 20 years before that. And then 20 years before that, you very quickly get to a stage where you think this is not funny. It's mm. infantile. It's, yeah. it's, it's not even low hanging fruit. It's just not funny. It's yeah. like, what are we laughing at? Are we just laughing at the suffering of others or are we laughing yeah. at something that's conceptually funny? It's, mm. and so, and that's where we've gone today. If you watch some of the genius stand-ups that are emerging, you, you see so much more. Uh, I mean, if you just watch Fleabag. Yep. It's such comedy genius because it's insightful rather than just laughing at people. Right. So yeah, um, it, I don't, I don't, I don't think there's a as a right or wrong answer to that. I, I don't think there is. I don't think there is a line. I think if there is, I think there's a a, a level of acceptability that's totally dependent on the society at the time, and today's society does not accept this kind of humor in many yeah. in a lot of the stuff that they've done. Yep. And I mean, that was kind of just one example, two examples, you know, uh, Rachel sexually harassed her assistant. Uh, she hired him based on his, uh, attractiveness. Um, the, 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 my biggest issue, and I think this is probably something again, that's changed with time. Um, but it's the, it's the biggest one that people point out is the complete lack of primary, uh, or even a secondary non-white characters for, for the majority of the seasons. This was one that even, which is funny. I don't know if you've, I've, uh, I've, there's a link I've got here and it's when, uh, the friends cast were on the Oprah show. I was just about to say, even after Oprah gave them a bollocking. Yeah. If someone back then had picked it up, there was obviously an issue with it. Um, but you kind of look at, and you think about where they were based. We're based in New York. Even back then, you know, one of the world's biggest multicultural hubs. And yet we rarely saw anybody who, um, you know, any person of color 
we 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 found we probably, we probably ran across maybe a handful of them until kind of the last couple of seasons where we found Charlie, uh, played by Aisha Tyler. She was the only black woman to appear in multiple episodes. So she showed up in, in nine episodes. And it was interesting because I was reading uh, or listening to the book, I'll Be There For You by Kelsey Miller. Um, yeah, okay. Just, just one thing before you carry on. She appeared, okay. but she appeared in a way that was just very, it was like, I mean, sorry if this is the point you're about to make. It's almost as if um, the world has resolved all challenges relative to diversity and no one's going to talk about this subject. Right. Is how she was presented. It was very, very weird. Absolutely. Sorry. Because the description the of her character said yeah. nothing about her race. Like it was, yeah. she was okay. just a, a normal character. Now it depends which way you look at it. That could be a good thing or a bad thing. But I mean, one good thing that came out of it, and again, you could take this in a, in a, uh, in a different way as well. But um, there was, like you said, there was nothing about her background. There was nothing about her race. There was nothing there at all. It was obviously seen through the lens of, I don't see color. <laughs> <laughs> that old line, like, you know, yeah. they, and that's, that's what it felt like. Um, but ultimately I think one of the messages that came out and this, this, this is from the book that I'll be there for your book by Kelsey Miller. It came, uh, from, um, it's okay to be with a non-white girlfriend as long as you end up with a white one. Well, this was a, this was a big Hollywood trope for many years. It yes. was, Hollywood was criticized for, for, for that kind of approach. And then there yep. was, then there was this weird um, uh, attempt at sexualizing black women for many years, but yep. not having them be the leading uh, female in a story or movie. It was just yep. like, what the fuck are we watching? And it just becomes more and more and more uncomfortable to watch as you watch, uh, yeah. as it get through some of these things. It's just I mean, it, Ross's other girlfriend, who was also a person of color, Julie, um, was technically speaking, by all accounts, can be classed as a diverse character because, you know, back then you kind of look at a lot of the Asian characters who were class- casted in, in, in TV and film and they were, they were portrayed as these, uh, you know, stereotypical Asians who didn't have, who, you know, who had a very strong accent uh, and either worked at, you know, uh, Chinese Wait, food place. Indian, Sri Lankan? She was uh, East Asian. Ah, uh, East Asian. She was Chinese. Ah, uh, yeah. Not not just Asian meaning people that have light skin and narrow eyes, which is the Americanized version of the use of the word Asian that fucking winds me up on a daily basis. Yes. Like, oh, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, he's an Asian guy. Oh, really? Is he Pakistani? No, he's Asian. Do you know where Asia is and the countries that are in Asia? She was... Um... <laughs> Described as an Asian American. Oh yeah, of course, because that's the, okay. So that's, that's the thing that we don't have in the UK because in the, in the UK, we are also allowed to be Asian as yes. sort of children yeah. of empire in India. Yes. Um, but well, in Europe, I'm finding Asian is the American meaning of the word Asian. And yes. if you're an often, yep. if you're Oriental, it means you're Middle Eastern, which is even more confusing. Yes. And I think what was interesting about this character was that in an age where other Asians were being casted as stereotypes, you look at Apu, you look at, you know, other, you know, Jackie Chan even, you know, he was casted as, in many roles that he had was a stereotype, but you look at her, but she was just an Asian American without any stereotype. So that to me was refreshing because she was a character without an accent. She just had an American accent and she was Ross's girlfriend. There was nothing else about her background. So I think, 
you know, that was a, a bit of progress. And then you kind of look at the other shows that were out back in the time, uh, you know, Moesha and Sister Sister and all these are the shows that were out in the 90s. The concept of of hanging out with somebody who was a different race to you wasn't a thing. Back, back then on, in, on, on TV, black people only hung out with other black people and whites with other white people and so on. Uh, and I, I don't know if it, if it serves as some kind of historical point of reference because it's something, you know, we've learned from today. Like, does it provide a lesson to learn? But that, that well, was, it, it was, it was true. I mean, everyone knew it was happening and that's why it wasn't too many years later when South Park did the hilarious show with Cartman putting the black kids, there was a, a, a black girl that started in the class and yep. he wanted to put her together with token because he was like, black people belong <laughs> together. And it, yes. it's a hilarious yes. episode. He, he thinks he's doing what society has taught him to do, which is to put these people together because they belong together. Yep. So yeah, everyone knew, everyone knew. Going from that kind of lack of diversity to kind of looking at the uh, portrayal of, or even ignorance of Jewish characters, um, the, the, the print, the, the kind of principle they tended to work on there was showing and not telling. Um, which, you know, you know, this kind of from writing, that's the lesson that we're taught, right? We were supposed to show, not tell. But when it comes to stuff like diversity, that that's just something that just doesn't translate. And when it came to the Jewish characters, again, they were stereotyped or they were completely over overlooked. Like, so uh, I, was, I was reading this uh, article about the uh, kind of background of Rachel and um, a lot of the research that was put together pointed to the signs that Rachel was Jewish, down to what she called her grandmother, down to kind of, um, you know, the, her portrayal of a character and um, who she married and, you know, everything that she was into. But it was never discussed and it was confirmed by the producers of the show that she was in fact Jewish. But nobody ever spoke about that. There, there was no kind of minus the kind of touching on the Hanukkah and that kind of stuff, even with Ross and Monica, there was no indication as to, you know, how much these guys practiced their, their background or faith even, shall I say? Yeah. I, I, there's a, that's the thing that's uh, been going on for many years in American TV. It's um, things that need to be portrayed in a way that doesn't alienate the general public. Yeah. Um, and yet so many of the writers come from one background yeah uh, which leads to people saying oh Jews control the world because yeah yeah it's like no 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 some people are just good at expressing things because of the culture that they're from that's just this is a it's it's okay that's okay so I mean <laughs> I started off <laughs> making some notes on what was positive okay what was a positive achievement because of friends sure um, and um could see you're already struggling. I'm, I'm going to sit back for this. No, no, no. I mean, uh, I started <laughs> off and, and saying really sort of cynical things like in my notes and saying that they did really, they did, uh, they did a fantastic job at normalizing <laughs> sexism and homophobia and the lack of integration <laughs> in New York and fat jokes and, and pre-Instagram, pre-Instagram vanity standards and an yeah. entire generation still behaves and according to the memes set out in Friends, like, yep. you know, looking down on, on, on women that propose to men and uh, 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 sort of 
conservative roles that women should have yep. and how society views women that behave in a certain way sexually and all these things that were in friends and accepted views by society and then continued by yet another generation um, because the, the friends was did something remarkable they were an, a, a bunch of people that were living an aspirational life yeah um, not a family in a lounge complaining about each other. And, you know, I mean, they did, they did, uh, if it wasn't for friends, we wouldn't have the um, worldwide explosion of uh, Starbucks and Costa and all these other coffee shops everywhere. Right. Um, yeah. Those things are very Americanized in the UK. Over yeah. here um, in, in, in Belgium, uh, you still have uh, sort of the French and Italian style coffee shops where people have very small cups of coffee, not giant one pint of Americanos. Um, <laughs> And they and they sip espressos on chairs on the street, and it's not like a a, a big sofa in right. So it's 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 not. That's a different. That's a very that's a very American coffee shop thing. Yep, yep, yep. That was alien when Friends was made, but having it on TV every week for years and years and years completely normalized it, and it became a thing. Um, another thing they did was was. They created these independent men and women that were living a free, sexually free, uh, liberated life. Um, and then this was being broadcast into living rooms all over the world. And yeah. people from different backgrounds and cultures were impacted um, by these people that are living, that were living, you know, the, the, the liberal American uh, uh, sexually liberated dream, mm. uh, which just is such a big issue in many, many cultures. And yeah. there are so many stories about how it impacted people. Yeah. Um, but putting all that stuff aside, the real reason I think friends is, uh, from, from, I did a lot of reading of books and, and stuff. I think the real reason that friends is big is because they did the writing right. Okay. The formation of characters, relationships, uh, handling TV tropes, um, creating the world's first uh, heavily used memes in mm. society. Like yep. everyone knows what Tribbiani eating pants are. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's impossible for our generation to talk about how you do not share food with <laughs> <laughs> without referencing friends. Yeah. Yep. Um, when you kind of think about a lot of the episodes, whilst, you know, let's take away, let's remove that lens a second. I know it's difficult. Let's remove that lens a second of, of how we live today. If we looked at it back then, you know, that show was for many people, it was a source of comfort. And, you know, even during nine 11, when everything happened, um, a lot of the cast found it difficult to go back to a show that was ultimately about happiness. You know, how do you go back to a show that is based in the city where one of the world's biggest terrorist incidents happened and you continue being happy about it? And Friends historically has never dealt with sadness or death in the best way. It's always, you know, turned into a joke. And the way they dealt with it was was quite touching in in the sense that you know so um, you know the, in Joey and Chandler's apartment they had the uh, dry erase board. Yeah. Every, every so often they'd have things like an American flag or the Statue of Liberty. Um, a lot of the cast would wear T-shirts that said um, New York Strong or FDNY. Or, you know, there was, uh, I think it was like the newspaper on on one of the tables said something about. Um, 
what had happened or something like that. They, so they never really addressed what happened, but through small tributes like that, they allowed people to escape and not be bombarded with what was actually going on in the world. It was a true escape. It was what a comedy, a sick, a sitcom is, is effectively supposed to be, is it's supposed to take you out of the situation that you're in right now. And it's supposed to provide a source of comfort. It's supposed to, it's comfort food. Now comfort food might not be good for you or it might not be feeding you very well. It's not got any nutrients, but it provides a, a blanket. It's a, it's something that you can watch periodically that you can feel good about. And I think that's what that show did ultimately for the people who are diehard fans. That's what it provided. And I think if anything, to take what, what you're saying is, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. No. Anything to take away? Yeah, if there's anything to take away is, uh, you know, it's, it's, that's, that's what it had provided. And I think the, I guess, um, you know, there are still some, some things we have to go over right now, but um, there's, there's a lot of lessons we can learn from, from what, how not to do things. Yeah, I think so. Um, I like the fact that friends is comfort food, so it kills you eventually. Yeah, there you um, go. That's where I was going. <laughs> I think, I think, uh, so one of the genius things uh, in, in how they did this was was um, in the contrasting in having these contrasting characters um, that fit the the character molds the character tropes character stereotypes yeah. uh, of, of personalities perfectly. Um, so Joey was handled well. He, he didn't start off well, but he was handled mm. well by yep. you know, sort of the third, fourth, fifth season. Yeah. Um, because yes, he was this like horrible, sexist, weird bloke that was just creepy at the best of times. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He was a predator. He was a, he had a lot of predatory behaviors. But he was also this, they transformed that into this loving brother type character. Yes, yeah. He was effectively the brother of the, of the other characters. And if they hadn't done that transformation, he would be mm. just a cretin. Yeah. And also, um, you know, talking about transformation of characters, Chandler being acceptant to who his dad was. Um, kind of, uh, even looking at Ross's acceptance to his ex-wife, who was a lesbian. Um, yeah, they, they, they did things badly, but they were still yes. some of the first people to try and do some of these things. Right. So it, it's easy to tear them down now. Yes. At the time. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting that people tried something. I think the other way that they, that, that they handled Joey perfectly was mm. this, I think, <sighs> Joey and Chandler are TV's most famous bromance. Yeah, yeah. I don't can't think of another bromance really that could that, that was done so perfectly that was <laughs> just done in a way that um, it was exactly how guys are yeah. when they are. Just very, I mean, you know, just a. Uh, I was going to give an example of something that you did before we started recording, <laughs> but I don't think I want to share it. But. <laughs> But, <laughs> but, but, um, which tells you the kind of thing it is. And it's the kind of thing that Joey and Chandler would have done. And so yeah. all men can relate to that. And, other, yeah. and, and, and I'm, I'm sure people of other genders can watch that and feel like, okay, yeah, that is a, a cool same sex, um, relationship. That's not a romantic relationship. It's a friend's yeah. relationship. And it was done perfectly all the way through. Yeah. And I mean, there was, you, uh, sorry, go on. If you're a writer, this is all the things I'm talking about are are extremely powerful examples of how to get things done right. Monica and Rachel right. is another example, and you were going to say something about Chandler. Yeah, so I was I was going to say kind of talking about um, 
whilst you know they've their ultimate kind of trajectories where their characters went we kind of we landed on some kind of acceptable conclusion they still had moments in between where you know the whole thing about not hugging for you know x amount of time can be construed as gay or you know uh you know little things like that that was that that they they can be seen as problematic things today because you know why would why would men hug or why do men have emotions why do men have to cry or why should men have uh you know those that there's that episode of where joey has that bag that looks slightly feminine and he was afraid of what how he would be perceived because he was holding it the rachel transformation yes was yep. um, a very very powerful never ending hero's journey yes yes um, throughout the mini episode uh, absolutely throughout the mini seasons of friends absolutely um in fact you can see from a, a writing perspective, a hero's journey cycle for Rachel all oh. the way through every season. You can make the argument. Yeah. And I, I, and like you said, you can make the argument that the show, Rachel was effectively the show's protagonist. Because if you look at the transformation of every single character in the show, nobody yeah. had seen a greater transformation than the, the character of Rachel. If you look at where she started when she first entered the show, she was this spoiled rich girl who wanted this and she wanted that. She wanted shoes. She wanted money. And if you look at kind of the transformation and the trajectory of her character, how she went from someone who was spoiled and came from a family who where, you know, everything was handed to them. And she ended up with someone who had made herself who worked for herself and kind of paid for paid her own way through the world. She didn't want her dad's money. She didn't want her dad to buy her anything. She didn't want any man to buy her anything. She needed to be her own self. She needed to be individual in that world for her to be somewhere in, in her life. And the relationship between her and Ross was an interesting one because there was, there were several points where they both tried to get together and there's several points in the show where it never worked. And it's because Rachel or Ross, mostly Rachel, hadn't grown to a point where she was able to love herself. And it was only until towards the end of the series, even the last series, season, where she finally got to a place where she was happy with herself, where she was in love with herself, where she was able to say, okay, I'm comfortable to be in a relationship because I'm content with my life right now. And both Ross and Rachel had, had mentally gotten to that point where they were able yeah. to, you know, respect themselves enough to not rely on each other in that relationship. It was, it was um, interesting that they showed that transformation so well rather than just talking about it. They were yeah. able to um, show her going to the wedding of the yes. guy who yep. was, she was supposed to originally get married to and Barry. she was completely comfortable and content and it was just like normal for her now yeah. to deal with this situation that before was the absolute disaster most disastrous thing that happened to her in her life that she couldn't yep. handle so, yep. I mean, how they showed these these events that were um this the artifacts of this transformation was was uh, genius genius writing all the way through i can't mm. i can't fault the writing at all um you just mentioned rachel and ross and uh man it was i mean if you go back and watch some of these some of these episodes even the ones where ross has effectively been um unfaithful yeah to rachel yeah um 
they gave him so many, and from a writing perspective, they gave him so many reasons to 100% believe that his actions were somehow justified or yeah. okay. Yeah. They made yeah. her out to be almost, even though she was a victim, they made out to her, her they made her out to be almost callous about his feelings yeah. um, leading up to that point. So that even though he had done this terrible, terrible thing, as the audience, you still can side with Ross if you wanted to. Yep, yep. Now that is a very difficult thing to write. That is a very fucking difficult thing to write to say because generally when you write something like that, you're going to side with the with the person who is not um, unfaithful. Definitely. And so, I think that was for many people, and I think it was probably one of my highlights of the show that uh, they were able to write a relationship that wasn't just it wasn't, I mean, it's, we're talking about almost the, um, the kind of source material of a lot of shows today about the whole, yeah. you know, will they, won't they thing. Like that's, you know, when we talk about will they, won't they, we kind of immediately, at least our generation will go straight to Ross and Rachel. It's a Ross and Rachel situation. Like it's, it's, it's a, from a story perspective, it was brilliant. Like you could make their own series and that show can be revolved around them. And effectively it's what we have at Friends. I think it's very powerful um, that they managed to do this yet again and surprise all the viewers with surprise all the viewers with um, the Chandler and Monica story, which crept yes. up. They hinted at it uh, a number of times, uh, and then it suddenly happened. But but again, these characters were so different. And if they'd done this in the second or third season, it just wouldn't have worked. But no. by the time you get to like people have spent a decade with these characters over yeah. a decade with these characters. Yeah. So now when these two people that are obviously very, very close friends suddenly get together, it was it was like doubling down on an existing investment. It was uh, it was so well done. And again, yep. so many series out there fuck that up on yep. a regular basis by just yep. ruining characters. Um, yep. I think what was interesting is they they managed to home in on something that we instinctively understand, as in me and you, yeah. Um, because of our cultural background and the stuff that we grow up watching. Mm. Um, Indian cinema is mm. very much like Friends, yeah. I think, because life is full of lots and lots of horrible trauma and real-life gritty stories are not uh, appealing because it's not a world that's become homogenized in a, in a, in a sort of standard-of-life type of way that many Western no countries have become no. um and so people you know people are suffering they don't have enough food there are diseases there are lots and lots of terrible things that happen in developing countries and so the media that came out of bollywood uh for decades uh, which is only just changing in it, it slightly not even changing that much it became much more aspirational because that is what gave let people allowed people to feel good about their lives and gave them a sort of certain sense of comfort right. when you read about these people talking about how they grew up with friends you see exactly the same thing so in many ways friends was the unmusical bollywood of the western world that yeah. an entire generation grew up with yeah yeah so, yeah. So, like I said, mine's mainly focused on the quality of the writing and what they were able to to put together. And rightly so. I think that it, the show had a lot of merits, and I think that was definitely there's a, there's a reason why it continued for ten years. Um, and that is 
you know, it's, it's down to that. It's down to the writing of the show and it's down to the trajectory of the characters, the stories where they ultimately ended up. Yes, fine. There were a couple of silly things that they did where, you know, they tried to put uh, Rachel and Joey together for whatever the fuck the reason was. Uh, yeah, that... Okay, so I, I was specifically avoiding those kind of stories because that's where they did fuck up. <laughs> I was like, no, yeah. no, no one cares. No one because cares. They don't care about each other. Said, because what you said about kind of him turning into this, you know, big brother figure, then completely gets torn apart by the fact that he had feelings for Rachel. Uh, and that just you know, that kind of crumbled everything apart. That just, then he never, he no longer became that big brother. He became, I don't know, the creepy distant cousin or something. Yeah, it was, that was very weird. So um, from the notes, it looks like the next, next section is more about um, what we're going to talk about next. You tell me. It's I, your I guess uh, the kind of through, yeah, through researching the show, uh, I'm, I, I get, I became curious and this is something that you do a lot and I don't do enough of. And I think, it was interesting for me and I was curious to know how we've changed as a society and kind of why we react to things in comedy specifically, I suppose, that have made us sensitive, I don't know if use sensitive is the right word, but uh, aware, hyper aware of the jokes, quote unquote jokes that are used in, in older shows. And uh, I came across this specific article that I thought was really interesting and I've, and I've extrapolated a few bits from it. Um, but I found it specifically interesting, especially when it came to stuff that was happening in the 90s. So I was reading this article from the Washington Post. The headline of the, of the article is Me Too is Undoing the Devil's Bargain of the 1990s. The, the subheading is men accepted women's rise to prominence, but used sexual coercion to main control. And I found that really interesting because in the 1990s, we thought that we had, we were kind of in an age of empowerment where we started to see kind of a rise of the feminists from the 1970s. We thought people were, you know, finally, the women were finally getting to a place where they were kind of, uh, you know, quote unquote, valued in society with kind of uh, legalized contraception, abortion, uh, females in kind of professional sports, in executive careers, all this kind of stuff had kind of gotten to the point where it was commonplace. Women were able to do the things that men um, were historically only able to do. Whilst all this was going on, unfortunately, there was a huge wave of, you know, uh, crimes and victimization towards these women who were trying to make things of themselves, who were trying to become bigger than, than, you know, the men before them in the article that I read, uh, it was talking about how college women, the message that they were getting were don't come forward with an accusation of sexual harassment. If you were raped, don't bother coming forward because you'll have to relive the rape on a witness stand where it will seem that you and not your rapist is on trial. And I think now we are in an age where that's completely flipped the script. If we look at kind of people who are being targeted, not targeted, the people, the, the men who are kind of being brought to light. But it's happening almost a generation too late because, again, related to friends, the Amani Lyle case, which was uh, someone who was hired to work in the writer's room um, who experienced, who both witnessed the most ridiculous amount of uh, creative, creative um, uh, uh, banter, racist, sexist banter on a regular basis. Um, And even experienced certain things herself, which the other writers 
not the main writers, but the other writers in the writers' room were not happy mm. um, with her bringing up. And um, eventually, they didn't like her objecting to certain things, saying certain things, and she was fired. It went to court and had a obviously terrible lawyer who was not able to actually make the case that her experience is not acceptable in a workplace that somehow were able to use the whole creative defense um, that this is a work environment and these are creatives that are expressing themselves and it's like well they weren't what they should have done was expressed it in a way to say that it's impacting her personally and it's also her work environment and it's not the right way to do things now today yeah. the case would never not win back then she didn't win the case. It was a complete mess um, from a legal perspective. And it opened the door for many other people to carry on behaving the way they were behaving in these writing rooms. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's, that was, I think that's a big part of this, this bargain that's referred to in the title of this article. I guess kind of going to comedy itself, kind of looking at why it exists. And I think you said this once, um, about how comedy is supposed to reflect the age that we live in. Um, it's kind of a reflection of kind of current culture and, and our political climate. And I saw this line in, uh, another article, I'm going to, I'll put this in the references anyway, but it said that there's an argument to be made that comedians are today's philosophers. It seems obvious that comedy spaces cannot be used effectively whilst being dominated by white men. Plus it's boring. That's one of the biggest things that we had here is the, the issue with friends is, how are we how are we supposed to relate to a show that didn't chronicle our life experiences um and i think that's really what's changed over time is by being more aware of the society around us and being aware of kind of privilege and our culture has led us to understand that comedy now has to be a lot more complex than it used to be it has a dark side too. Yes. Yeah. I don't there is a very, there is a, there's a comedian, a comedian on Netflix called uh, Eliza Schlesinger. Yep. And I can only express extreme discomfort at listening to the way she talks about her world and the way she casually drops in mockery of racial stereotypes. And in the first show, she just straight up drops an end bomb. Oh, wow. I mean, she, and, but she's got four shows on Netflix because somehow allowing the space for anyone to say anything they want, because you can't be offended by people who have previously not been allowed to say, speak their mind or whatever means also giving a voice to some of the crazy people and uh i'm not decided yet whether she is one of the crazy people but she's definitely on the suspect list <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and like when it. you watch the the first couple of shows you'll see what i mean so yeah i think that's also dangerous i think we still need to have a certain sort of critical view of what we're allowing people to 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 say what's what's good what's normal um in contrast if you have uh, comedians like Catherine ryan are uh, just genius i i really like this quote and it's um it kind of sums up kind of what we've been talking about and kind of what i when i watch comedy is kind of what i hope for um and it's 
comedy, commentary on life is not doing its job if it is exclusively commenting on the lives of the same demographic. Um, and it's like I said before, I don't want to watch something where my perspective isn't taken into consideration. And I'm not just talking as a, as an Indian person or whatever, but I'm talking about the world view around as if, uh, if the, if what's happening in the world isn't taken into consideration, then I don't know if I'm going to be massively invested into it. I think, um, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, it, it's, it's awkward though, because how do you, how do you in, in, cause we live in a world that's, that's increasingly at the moment, uh, impacted and controlled by, um, extreme right-wing politicians and their followers who, um, through, uh, you know, democracy, democracy works. Democracy is a great idea and everyone tears it down because they say democracy doesn't work. Look at Brexit. Okay, fine. Hang on a minute. If you don't give people, number one, the education in schooling to be able to analyze and assess and critique information, and then yep. number two, um, have standards have standards that require truths to be reported, truth to be reported um, with references, um, then you cannot have a democracy that functions on a bunch of lies and a bunch of people that are miseducated because they yep. don't know how to understand that information. There so, you go. Exactly. So then, then, then we have um, 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 a big challenge there in comedy, which is comedy is going to split and is splitting into various different in, uh, uh, places, various different levels of um, how people see the world, how people are maybe educated, how people have experienced life in, 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 in based on their worldview and their demographic and their culture and all those things. And how do you compensate? How do you account for all of those? How do you, in, how do you include all of those? Yeah. Yeah. That's a huge challenge. Uh, and this is where comedy then becomes the front line mm. uh, for, you know, this thing that we call freedom of speech. Yeah. A freedom of speech. Yeah. Uh, that's a difficult, that's a difficult line to find. Well, if you like that, hit subscribe and answer your collection. We're on iTunes. We're on Spotify, wherever you, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. I've been Karan. I'm Kushal. Thank you I've for listening. Have, have you? Have you changed now? No. Oh. Oh yeah. Keep listening. Yep. Please what keep did listening. You say? Oh, sorry. What? <laughs> It's my turn to fuck up your outro completely. Oh, oh sorry, Con. Yeah, it's all yours. Thanks for listening. <laughs>